Welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafta, and today I'll be chatting with Rom Israq, General Manager Europe and Chief Marketing Officer of Depulti. Depulti is the only global payables automation solution to streamline all phases of the AP and payment management workflow in one holistic cloud platform. Hi, Rob. How are you? Hi, Stacey. Thanks for having me. Of course. How's your day been? It's been good. I managed to get a little walk in this morning while the, the sky is still blue. So that's great. I love that. One of my favorite questions actually to ask guests is their like daily routines. It's something that I just absolutely love. Is there anything special you do? Uh, I've been trying to walk for 45 minutes to an hour uh, in the nearby park uh, every morning. I'm mixed, very mixed success, but this morning <laughs> I at least got 30 minutes in there. So that's, I take that as a, as a win. Yeah, I I started walking, I think, early lockdown just for like, it was just so nice to get out mentally besides the physical benefits of it. I saw a massive change mentally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a little worried about the winter. I'll have to figure out a new new way to get a version of that in. I'm sure you'll find something. Rob, before we dive any deeper, it's really nice for the listeners to understand how you became General Manager Europe and Chief Marketing Officer of Depulti and exactly what led up to that moment. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, you know, as a background, my background always been marketing. Uh, even in uh, university in the early days, I, I I didn't know what marketing was, but I knew I wanted to be in it. And <laughs> I just had an affinity toward it. You know, I'd, I'd look at billboards. Well, what about it? Okay. I, I don't know. You know, I, I'm a, a, mi- a mixture of analytical and creative. And um, at at home, I'll I'll you know I, I like painting, and I've always done art my whole life, and okay. so. I've got a creative side to me, but I'm also quite analytics and analytic. And there, there's only a few careers where you have that blend. Yeah. And so I think I think because of those qualities and the fact that I like the combination, I was just pulled towards marketing. And I, you know, I just spent a disproportionate amount of my time interpreting advertisements and you know looking at bad branding, even when I didn't realize what it was called. And so I, I kind of always went toward that direction naturally, starting in university. Um, and so my career was, uh, didn't start in marketing, but it eventually rooted to marketing because I was trying to get there. And um, I, I was fortunate in my previous company, I was at NetSuite and I was there prior to the company going uh, public for many years. And I helped build up their demand gen function, their branding and international marketing. I oversaw EMEA, APAC and Japan marketing mm-hmm. along their journey. Um, and so, so of course, the company did, did quite well and went public and I grew with them, which was was great. Um, and then I was, you know, I'd been there quite a while, about eight years, and I was ready for my next challenge. And the company was large, it was 3,500 employees. And I tend to enjoy more of that, you know, fast growing startup um, atmosphere. And so I was ready for my next challenge and wanted to run marketing soups nuts. And uh, and then I bumped into this company, Topalti, uh, you know, through a recruiter. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I wasn't, I actually wasn't sold on the company initially. They were very small. I think the company mm. was somewhere around twenty employees at the time. Wow! And I just um, and the, you know I knew the space. I knew the space was quite large, but I just wasn't um, very knowledgeable about the company. I knew it was it was a high risk move. But um, I met with uh, the the founder and CEO Chanamit, uh, and I just hit it off with him after fifteen minutes. You know, even as big a decision as it is, a lot of that decision came down to gut. And uh, I just kind of had a feeling like the markets. Of course, this market's good, but the company has had a great track record of customer satisfaction retention. I really like that. As a marker, you want the wind at your backs, not running up against negative yeah. word of mouth and the such. Um, and uh, I just like, he he didn't ooze ego 
um, like you get with a lot of um, executives nowadays, yeah. I suppose, particularly in tech. And so he just seemed like the type of person you can have an analytical, thoughtful, human conversation with and enjoy working with um, and problem solve. And I really liked that. And I also met then the co-founder and it was the same vibe. And so uh, I think that along with obviously good qualities about the market size and knowing that this market was very immature and it was a clear problem they were solving and good signs of word of mouth and customer satisfaction all led me to make the jump. Um, and that's how I essentially became a CMO. I've now been at the company seven years. So it's been quite a, uh, we've had a nice growth trajectory. Um, but about about two and a half years ago, we're, we're, uh, we wanted to grow our channel and our alliances function. And so Ken asked me if I could take on that challenge. And that was, that's been quite successful. Um, and it's now about 20% of our business is sourced by the channel. Um, back, you know, several years ago, it was, it was in the single digits. Um, and so then last December, one of our future growth levers for sure is, is global and expanding all around the world. And so about December, I think it was December 2019, Ken approached me about that opportunity and said, would you be interested in Personally, I love traveling. Um, my family's from South Africa originally, and I've traveled what? my entire life. And so that opportunity from a personal side was exciting. My wife and family were totally on board. And from a professional perspective, it's uh, completely a new challenge, right? Running a, running a part of the business, a cross-functional, um, in a new culture. And I like a challenge. It's definitely a leadership challenge for me. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's been a fun, a fun ride, even despite moving during uh right before the uh the the mutation uh was announced so uh you know that was that was an interesting ride in itself but it's been a fun a fun journey yeah i'm sure definitely high risk high reward we work with a lot of startups even smaller at their like three man five man size and we have a lot of candidates obviously coming to us for advice what would you say they should look out for in a business they can be larger let's say the, the 20 man mark what would you give advice to to people in that situation uh, when they're when they're evaluating the business and deciding if they want to take the risk and and join the company exactly uh, I mean, firstly, it sounds um, it sounds uh, simple, but, uh, you know, evaluate the people, right? I mean, mm. work and business is a people job and make sure that the founder or the CEO or the C-suite or whoever you're working with and for, that they're people you like, that you have a similar worldview or perspective on, on how business should be achieved um, because you're going to be spending a lot of hours with, with those people. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them on everything, but... You want to be aligned on your value system and, um, you know, the, the types of people you'll be working with and the, what, what the view is on talent that you'll be hiring and the such like that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Certainly want to evaluate, you know, is this company differentiated? Um, I, I think if, you, if you're going into a commoditized space or the product and the solution, the, the vision is not differentiated and doesn't add unique value to the target audience, you're, you're, you're you're likely set up for failure, frankly. Yeah. Um, and so you do, you'd have to make sure that there's a very clear vision as well as a differentiation between the solution. Ideally, it solves a real problem on the other side. And then the third, the third piece I'd, I'd say is, you know, look for signs of word of mouth, high customer satisfaction. No one's perfect, but, you know, a good retention rate or other qualities. Mm. It indicates the company's not uh, selling a bill of goods, but they actually have a product that solves a problem and it actually works to a, to a, a good extent. So those are, those are 
some of the key characteristics that I've looked at and that, that have worked out for me. Well, it definitely looks like it's it's been a good move for you. So happy to see. And you joined as CMO and then recently or around about a year ago, headed up the European team. How was that adjustment getting an additional role on top of what you were doing? Uh, yeah, it was quite an adjustment to be to be honest. Um, in the US, uh, you know, to, to keep marketing scaling, I hired a, a North America SVP of marketing who was quite okay. seasoned and experienced to keep, keep the the machine, um, uh, the global marketing machine moving, uh, quite, uh, quite nicely, uh, while I had to increase my focus on, of course, uh, building this business and recruiting and, um, learning the, the market, of course, and, and the such. So does that help me focus, uh, alliances, which I was overseeing at the time, uh, moved over to sales. Uh, I think I would personally have exploded to, to be, be overseeing that as well. Um, so that, that's the other piece I made the shift. And then I really just had to get kind of integrated into, uh, the market out here and focus and learn, um, everything from kind of the customer base, the market, the needs, um, of course, culturally make sure that I, you know, I adapt my leadership style, so to speak to, to the market. Um, and, um, you know, and, and definitely a key part of it is, is hiring the right people, right? And uh, building the right culture and the right team, because if you get the right people and you have the right culture in place, everything else tends to take care of itself. Was it easier or harder than you expected? Um, I think I'd say it was harder than I expected in in different ways. I mean, it's worked out quite well, um, but it, it was really... Really pretty hard work. And uh, my CEO actually warned me. He said, look, you're, you're basically, <laughs> you're creating a startup within, within a mature business. And, uh, you know, you're, you're basically creating a business. And, uh, and I think particularly because we're in fintech, um, there, there are essentially multiple different things we have to do to make this thing operational. We yeah. have to, in our world, we're, we're actually executing payments on behalf of our clients. Um, and that means uh, to do this properly. Um, and do it right to deliver that right experience for our customers. Uh, we have to get an FCA license in the market, mm-hmm. so we had went went through the whole FCA licensing process, which is quite a journey in and of itself. Um, I had to get the whole back office operation set up to uh, support a multi subsidiary business operation. UK is our first official um, go to market that's in a different market from uh, North America. Um, so there was obviously quite a lot to do there. And then of course had to build a go-to-market team, uh, recruit, um, out here, uh, and, and then of course have it all come together on board. Uh, the team, we actually onboarded most of the team on the same exact day, which was, no. I, I asked the entire leaders, you know, and we had COVID here, oh right? My. So, oh so, my. so it's a very interesting process of, you know, we, we managed to recruit great people, but most of those people I hadn't met, uh, you know, purely <laughs> online. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then and you know so we got we built a great leadership team, um, you know, a founding team, and then um, on I think it was September first, we essentially trained everyone in person on the same day. And so I said to the folks on my leadership team out here, "Have you done this before? Have you ever <laughs> trained and enabled an entire team on the same day?" And everyone was like, mm, "No." And so yeah, it went pretty well, unfortunately, and it was a great experience. It was quite invigorating, a little exhausting, but. Uh, um, I could we, only team imagine. Out here has a great energy and great chemistry. So uh, we did a bunch of dinners beforehand. So we yeah. all met up beforehand, which was interesting. In the beginning was like speed dating, but um, <laughs> but it was it was a uh, you know those 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 two or three dinners we did before 
before the onboarding of the whole team on the same day, I think really helped kind of uh, build that chemistry beforehand. And then, um, and then the onboarding's gone well. And, you know, we're definitely bringing in new customers uh, since we've launched, which has been exciting. So, so it's going well, but it was hard work for sure. Super exciting. Our business, I think, has grown close to 200% in people since COVID's hit. So I've not met like majority of the people in our business and we're having a Christmas party in like less than a month and we're all meeting. And I think it's going to be so strange seeing somebody on a screen for like a year, two years, feeling like you know them and you've like never met in person. Yeah. It's almost like you have a relationship with them and you know them and then you meet them in person. <laughs> they look different than you expected. So it's, I assume so. I see. So I'm very, very short. And I know there's a couple of my members in our team are really, really tall. I'm like you, you're just going to be shocked. But yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. And, and Rob, I have a very similar background to you. When I was younger, I also just knew I had such a passion for marketing and everyone around me was like, you're going to be a marketer one day. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why. So I was kind of like, you I just went with it. I studied it and I fell in love with it. I I really believe marketing plays a vital role in the success of a business. How have you seen the impact of your campaigns or or strategies play out? Money is all around us and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Yeah, well, uh, you know, so I tend to be a pretty, I mentioned I was analytical earlier. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty analytical, I guess, accountability focused marketer. Um, and so at our business, about 50% of all bookings are sourced by marketing. Um, so we're, we can see one to one. We know that, you know, leads that were created yeah. by our marketing function created this many dollars, this many yeah. opportunities, but even more importantly, this many dollars of new, new client signings every year. And it's about 50%, which is, you know, in the best in class area. So that's really, um, that's really, uh, you know, feels good to know that you have a, a direct impact to the bottom line. I think the difficult part is, as you know, there's a lot of marketing that's not, you know, you can generate these many leads, let's say, but there's also uh, nurturing leads. There's also yeah. product marketing and messaging and branding. All those things are not measurable. So that 50% contribution is the minimum accountability of impact of marketing. Um, but it, but certainly being able to state that and show that helps the whole marketing team know that we have an impact and lets us see, are we off track or on track? Are we trending up, down? And, you know, and then, and then the hard part is communicating that, you know, there's also all this other stuff that you can't see in the data that we're helping the business with, but uh, that's just the reality of marketing. Yeah. And Tipulti is an accounting software solution for businesses. How can CFOs understand their accounts payable workflow and global payment processes need modernizing? Yeah. I mean, so, so with, within, uh, within finance, where we really are focused on is, is that payables operation. And typically, if you read any surveys from FDs or controllers or CFOs 
um, fairly regularly when they're asked what the most time-consuming function in finance is. It almost always is accounts payable. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's a very manual, very time-consuming, very error-prone uh, process, and it's never properly been addressed with uh, technology. And so, uh, because of that, uh, you know, the the FD or the CFO uh, typically their team is spending a disproportionate time uh, keeping these wheels moving to pay their suppliers on time, to process invoices, uh, to pay uh, vendors and suppliers or partners around the world. Um, typically, you know, in the early days of a company, let's say the company's 30 employees, maybe they have sub 100 invoices or payments. They have to make them a, a, a month. Um, at that point, you can, it's not ideal, but you can get by and hack through the, the manual accounts mm. payable process. It's once the company starts scaling, growing, where the, the manual, non-scalable process of accounts payable, the legacy process we talked about, uh, really starts impeding finance from doing what the CEO and the board and the VC and probably the FD themselves wanted to do with their own career, yeah, with their team. Yeah. And so, so it's around that 100 invoices, 100 payments a month where that complexity starts rolling in, uh, particularly as it gets higher. So as you grow, all that happens is you get more suppliers, you have more payments, you have more complexity, the volumes of suppliers and invoices and payments increase. And as you get to 500 payments a month or 500 invoices a month, same with uh, um, you know eventually up to 1,000 and more, um, it starts increasing the burden on the finance team. And essentially, you have to start hiring more and more AP folks just mm, to keep mm, up with mm. those volumes. Um, particularly in the UK, you and and all businesses generally, particularly with the trends and business nowadays, you tend to have more cross-border payments as you start growing up and getting bigger. And that cross-border payments disproportionately then impacts the workflow even more. Even more as companies scale further, they have multi-subsidiary processes. As they get bigger, they need PO management and other processes to control costs. You have to worry about fraud. Uh, there's all kinds of processes you have to worry about within the finance uh, process for accounts payable and the payables workflow as you keep growing. And it, you know, as you keep growing, you essentially that at that point you start realizing it's a poor investment to keep hiring finance people mm. who are quite talented. They're the best people in the entire business on numbers and you know yeah, mastering yeah. how to analytics. You know, apply them to that or apply those investments to other places that help your business grow and make better decisions to hire more and more AP people to keep up with uh, volumes as you grow is, is certainly not the, the solution and it exposes your business fraud. Um, and it holds back, frankly, the, the charter and the opportunity for finance to be a strategic uh, enabler of the business growth. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that's typically where, um, where you see those trends uh, falling and where sure. finance needs to start looking at automation to help scale this process while they can focus on more important things. The other, yeah. piece, the other trend that's kind of come in here is in the last 10, 15 years, the digital economy has grown up, right? Mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, you didn't have ad tech. You didn't have yeah. online marketplaces. Yeah. You didn't have the gig economy or creator economy. Um, all those, you, you know, imagine like, uh, imagine Uber telling their drivers, every time you drive two miles, send me an invoice and I'll send you a payment. <laughs> they'll yeah. quit, right? They'll, they'll yeah. quit and they'll go join the next car, uh, car, car driving gig economy company next door. Who doesn't make them do that? And you know the, these drivers or the talent or the the gig workers or freelancers, uh, publishers. Those are the heart of these companies. You know, without the drivers, mm -hmm. Uber's worthless, right? They're they're yeah. almost nothing. And so you have to deliver this great payment experience, and that payment experience is no longer 
uh, that in, that traditional process of invoice backing um, is not required. And so that's really challenged the finance function because they have to have a whole new process now uh, to handle that type of high volume partners that are onboarding at high rates. Cross-border payments become even more overstated in that type of equation. Um, and you have to pay people with a really great payment experience. Um, and then if you think about finance, now they have to handle two processes at once. They have yeah. an invoice back payables process and a non-invoice back, back payables process for their, their gig workers and the such. And, uh, and that, that's particularly challenging on finance. So, so all those kind of trends and characteristics lead to this, this under, underswell of demand for automation of the payables operation. And then how have you found the current state of AP workflows in the UK differ to the US? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a interesting question. It's uh so I'd say generally speaking, the US is uh, more mature in terms of applying AP automation uh, to their processes. There's been some technologies that at least served the small business sector um, in the US for many years, and because of that, uh, and some other other companies who who tend not to be in the UK, um, the the companies are just very US centric. Yeah, and so. So there's more automation applied to the accounts payable process and the general payables process okay. um, in the U.S. And so I'd say generally the process of accounts payable in the U.K. is probably three to five years behind. There's just more manual processes, frankly, out here uh, um, from that perspective. So the other piece that's interesting is while there's more manual process in the U.K., the U.K. actually, if you look at their payables workflow, is more complex. So they tend to have a higher rate of cross-border payments. They have a higher rate of a multi-subsidiary finance structure, which both cross-border payments and multi-subsidiary are two of those variables that create real havoc within the finance operation. Um, FX is definitely like a you know currency conversion, mm, yeah, uh, and and uh, you know converting uh, you know the uh, finances and pounds and the such uh, is much more common out here. And then of course you have things like VAT regulation, self-billing requirements, and pay on time regulation there's a little bit more regulation out here and all those things create much more complexity in the finance operation so it's a really interesting kind of both it's more manual and there's more complexity out here to met to many uh, aspects than the u.s process yeah so it's really recent that you launched in the uk i know you guys have plans to expand across europe you're now talking about how it's a lot more manual in the uk has that been more of a challenge or less of a challenge expanding into these regions I think it's actually uh, less of a challenge in that, okay. you know, when we start uh, talking to, uh, you know, finance directors and showing what could be done with automation and how that can help the operation, uh, the, the eyes kind of open up. A little <laughs> Probably bit a lot it's of like, excitement. It's a, it's a little bit like magic. Now, we, we, of course, <laughs> we have to show them the, the demo to of show, course, show of them course, that course. the product actually works and show that we have customer success and a, and a history of being able to do this successfully. But people are like, you can really do this. And how much time would I save if I did this and, and the such? And so because the process is so manual and, and also complex out here, um, there's been a really good reception to uh, to Topolity so far in our conversations in terms of showing how our platform works. We did spend a lot of time um, in terms of, uh, you know, as part of that readiness plan I talked about earlier, we did localize the product quite significantly. Okay. We just lift what we had in the U.S. and drop it down here. Sure. Um, and so I think that's also helped because we've built out capabilities like uh, that and self-billing and, and you know, of course, other, uh, you know, integrating with the local banking infrastructure out here, um, which has helped, 
our solution better serve the needs of the market than we were able to do beforehand. We speak to a lot of fintechs that are looking to expand into new regions, new continents. How did you guys decide firstly the UK? And do you have any advice for people, one, deciding on where they want to expand to, and then just that process in general? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you'll probably hear this. I've said it before on the marketing side, but, you know, it starts kind of with data. Honestly, we we, mm. we chopped a lot of data in terms of uh, looking at the TAM you know, our core target market is generally mid-market, high growth, high scaling, high velocity companies. And so there's many data sources out there uh, furnished by the UK, by, by other governments around the world and other, other uh, you know, bodies uh, that, you know, you can kind of get a sense of which markets are the largest from our target market perspective. Also looking at more softer variables, uh, you know, Europe has the trust score. We looked at that. Uh, which helps kind of understand where you can serve and where you can um, approach markets from. We looked at uh, other accounts, things like VC funding mm-hmm. by country, entrepreneurial activity by country, uh, high growth. You know, Deloitte has some great metrics around, uh, you know, growth outlooks for the future of the country because you don't want to have a big market, but it's a dying country and the, the economy will shrink over time. You want to go to a place that has a future. And so, um, match with industries where we're strongest with. Uh, so we looked at all those characters. We also okay. looked at where demand's been coming in. You know, we've been doing this. We've been in business since 2010, so we have a history of seeing where demand's coming in. And one of the one the one that I mean, we knew we've known we we should be a global company for a while for a few reasons. One of those data points that we know is about 20% of our clients are non-US, despite us being wow. literally focused wow. on the US market. So we we're trying to get marketing and sales and all functions and organization to focus on the U.S. market because, of course, it's quite large. And uh, uh, but but despite that, twenty percent of our clients are coming from outside of the U.S. And it's because our system is so strong on global capabilities, cross-border payments, tax ID collection, multi-subsidiary uh, pieces, fraud identification, and such like that. And because of that global nature, and then looking at the data, you could just see that there's tons of demand who not only are coming in and want our system, but actually will buy the system. At that point, despite the fact that all the operations and uh, were, were were based out of the U.S., and so that was a great indicator that we've got a great future yeah. um, in in other markets. And when you cut within that data, UK was definitely the top market, and so it was pretty clear. And then Europe, mainland Europe, as a as a general region, taking UK out of it is also quite an effective uh, region from that perspective. So those were pretty clear data points that, particularly if we have a local staff or focused on the market. And we also localize the product and we get FCA yeah. licensing and enter with local banks. We should be quite effective out here because we can already see in the data that, you know, uh, TAM wise and fit wise, it's a great market. Um, it's a growth. It's a great growth market as well. So it fits from that kind of psychographic perspective. And then the the the, the demand's already there and those that demand's not only coming in, but people are purchasing the system. And of course, our system is now going to be much stronger now that we've localized the offering and and the service side of it. So, so it was, it was actually, I I don't want to oversimplify, but it was a relatively (laughs) easy decision from a strategic perspective. Um, There's then, then of course, how to do that, when to do it. Um, uh, Those are the tougher decisions that we had to make. Sure. Rob, thank you so much for coming on to this episode. You shared such great advice. So thanks again. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? Uh, LinkedIn, you could just find me um, 
my last name, I'm, I'm probably the only Israch on LinkedIn. So I-S-R-A-C-H. <laughs> but uh, feel free to connect with me. Awesome. Thanks again. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.